Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. I enjoyed this uh, study of 1 Peter that we've been doing. Uh, and... Um, you know, Peter's writing this letter uh, in very difficult times for, for, follower, for followers of Christ. And, and uh, when Pastor Jordan was sharing about, uh, about his ministry, it, it kind of reminded me that, you know, and Peter was writing to people that were, were going through that same thing. There, there was persecution, there was pressure, there was all kinds of things coming against them. Uh, and, in, and, and in the midst of all that, in the midst of that persecution, Peter writes to encourage them to do what? Do you remember? He writes to encourage them to stand firm. Stand firm. In, to stand firm in grace, in God's grace. He says at the end of, uh, at the end of his, this first letter in chapter 5, uh, verse 12, I have written to you briefly, uh, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Um, so Peter begins his letter in, in uh, chapters 1 and 2. He, he says to, he's telling us to live. He's telling his readers here to live as someone who, who can stand in their salvation, who's been given salvation, to stand firm in God's grace every day, and to live as one who, who deserves nothing but has been given everything. Sometimes I think we lose sight of that, just, just what... Uh, what God has given to us uh, at no cost to us. The cost was all on him. So Peter begins this letter in, in chapters 1 and 2 by, by talking about that. Stand firm. Uh, and then midway through chapter 2 and 3, uh, after, after telling us all these good things, he, he, he kind of shocks us with this idea of submission. Submission. He's telling us that in uh, uh, in verse uh, chapter two, verse thirteen, he tells Christians to to submit to the government, uh, even even if they're persecuting them. In in verse eighteen, Peter tells slaves to submit to their masters, even if their masters are mistreating them. They're to submit to them. And finally, in verse three, uh, uh, I mean. Chapter 3, verse 1, Peter tells wives to submit to their own husbands, even if they're unsaved. And, uh, you know, from, the, from then for six verses, uh, chapter 3, 1 through 6, as, as Sister Angela taught us last week, uh, you know, Peter instructs women, married women, how to be wives who glorify God. Uh, you know, he, he invests more instruction time to the wives because they had the most difficult circumstance. And sometimes I think we miss that. Uh, you know, the wives were saved, but, but some of their husbands weren't. And, and, and this, this would often create a very tense situation, especially given the culture that, uh, of the time there and the status of women. Um, sometimes I think we, we fail to realize that that under Jewish law, um, 
a woman really had no rights. Um, you know, she was, she was actually owned by her husband, just like he owns his sheep and his goats. Uh, and, and, and she was owned by her husband in exactly the same way. And she, on no account could she leave him, although he could dismiss her and send her away for at any time he wanted to. Um, in, in, un, under Roman law, also a, a woman had no rights. Uh, in, 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 law she remain, in law, she remained a child to her husband, to her father. Um, and, the, and, and her father had every right to, under Roman law, he could kill her or let her live. Uh, and when she married, she became the property of her husband. And, and those same rights uh, shifted to him. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that under Roman law, a, uh, if a man caught his wife or even suspected that she was committing adultery, he, he, could, he could have her killed right there. No trial, no, no reason given. Uh, he had that kind of power. But if the wife caught the husband in adultery, she couldn't put a finger on him. She couldn't do anything because he was a man. So these are the circumstances that, that Peter's writing to these women, and these women have, have accepted Christ as their Savior, and, and, and they've done so at great risk to themselves, considering that many of them, the husbands, uh, were unsaved. Uh, so Peter tells these wives uh, uh, in, in, in chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, he tells them to imitate Christ when it gets tough. And, and then, then he instructs them directly in verses 1 through 6, as, as Angela taught us last week. And now in verse 7, after instructing the, the wives for, for six verses here uh, who, who live under a husband who, who is unsaved, now Peter now instructs Christian husbands how to treat their wives. And he does this in one verse. And it's, it's verse 7. God is reminding all husbands just how crucial their role is to the marriage relationship. And Peter is laying a very strong foundation uh, in this letter. And even though this is just one verse, uh, it's, it's a very heavy, a very weighty verse. There, there's so much in it. Uh, um, and the things Peter's saying... Keep in mind, these are radical things, revolutionary things that he's writing, given the culture that he's writing them in. Um, you know, as husbands and wives, we have to turn to God's word, not to cultural norms. And our resource book in our marriage has to be God's word. Uh, uh, if our marriage is to, is to be pleasing to him, if our marriage is to glorify God, uh, if our marriage is to be a witness to the world, and if our marriage is to bring joy into our life. And that's what Peter uh, is saying in 1 Peter 3, 7. Um, let, let me read that verse to you. It says, uh, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers 
will not be hindered. I tell you, that verse has uh, hit me right between the eyes uh, several times uh, over the course of my life that th the idea that, that how, how a man treats his wife can hinder his prayer life. Um, I know oftentimes I've talked to guys that, that are saying, you know, you know, God's not hearing my prayer. I'm not getting an answer. And, and, and it, oftentimes it goes back to how he's treating his wife. You know, if you're not treating your wife according to Scripture, then uh, your prayers are going to be hindered. Um, so what's a husband to do? I, I believe that in this, in this one verse, Peter has given us five principles that I, th I think we can uh, take away from this. First, we must imitate Christ as our model for marriage, and we have to do this faithfully. Uh, Peter begins verse 7 with, you husbands in the same way. Now a lot of translations will say, uh, husbands likewise. Um, and what's Peter referring to here? Some think that, that uh, in the same way refers to verses 1 through 6, what he's just said to the wives. But later uh, Peter's going to tell us that, uh, uh, later in verse 7, that, that our wives are actually co-heirs with Christ. So Peter's not talking here to, to husbands with unbelieving wives. You know, generally in that culture, if, if a man accepted Christ, he, he brought his wife and his household with him. Uh, you know, they became believers. So when Peter says, you, you husbands in the same way, he, he means like the wives, you husband in the, husbands in the same way are to imitate Christ. Um, you know, I believe Peter's reaching back to that powerful illustration in, in, in chapter 2. And, and Peter says, in the same way, uh, in the same way Christ behaved, you husbands should live and, and follow the example of Christ in your marriage. You know, listen to how Peter described how Christ responded to unjust treatment he received at the hands of his own creation in chapter 2. Uh, verse 21. I'm going to read 21 through 23. It says, For you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in him in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Um, you know, no, no one has more authority than the king of kings, and, 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 and no one has more power than the creator of the universe. Yet, yet look at how Christ responded uh, to unfair treatment, to how he responded to cruel people and to unjust suffering. You know, the, the, the sinless... Uh, innocent, guiltless Christ uh, uh, submitted to, to imperfect men. And, and, and Peter is saying, so husbands, in the same way, deny yourself. You know, don't abuse your authority as, as head in your marriage. You know, don't bark out orders like a drill sergeant. Uh, you know, don't lose your temper. Uh, don't try to force obedience. 
but follow the example of Christ who, who died to self. Uh, and, and, and we have to do that in our marriage. You know, think about this. D does your wife, and I think this is important, do, does your wife know without a doubt that you're completely and totally hers? No, with no competition. Um, or does she have to continually wonder about that? Uh, you know, men, th this is your job to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, because the heart of a godly man is to imitate Christ. And the only way any man can hope to fulfill his role as a husband now or in the future is to keep his eyes focused on Christ and, 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 and do what Jesus did. Um, imitate Christ as your model for marriage. Know that Christ died for your sins and know that you need his grace every single day. Um, you know, I, as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of Galatians 2.20 where Paul writes, it's no longer I who live, but, but what? But Christ who lives in me. Um, so, so imitate Christ faithfully in your marriage. The second principle here is to, is to know your wife intimately. Know your wife intimately. You know, it's been said that uh, uh, the average American couple spends about, I think it said 37 minutes uh, a week in, in actual eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball conversation. Um, you know, but God says to husbands in the next phrase of verse 7, he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. You know, that phrase literally means uh, dwell together in, in deep personal knowledge. It doesn't, mean that you, it doesn't just mean that you share the same house or that you share the same bed. Um, you know, men, do you, do you have an intimate uh, personal knowledge of your wife? And that, that only happens two ways. Uh, through, a, through an intense study of God's word and through an intense study of your wife. Um, you know, as you, look at your, as, you, as you look at your wife, do you see her through a biblical lens? Uh, she's made in God's image, uh, redeemed by God's grace. Uh, she still battles sin just like you do. Uh, she's a saint who still sins. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. That, that sweet hunk of, of Christian femininity has the same sin nature that we have. Uh, so do you have a biblical lens to see your wife accurately? Uh, is it clear or, 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 or do you still get angry when she stumbles, when she makes a mistake, uh, or hurt when she disappoints you, or when she gives in to fear or anxiety or, or maybe goes through a season where she, it's difficult for her to trust God. Um, you know, most importantly, do you husbands provide a model of obedience that's worth following? You know, are you, are you portraying Christ in your life to the extent that, that, that it's worthwhile for her to follow that example? Um, you see, Peter says in verse 7, you need to live with her, live with her, which actually means dwell together. Uh, all of your life 
is to be with her, with her in your mind, with her on your heart, uh, with her as your most essential relationship. Now get this, when, when Peter says, dwell together with your wife, he's actually commanding you husbands to be, that, and telling you that you're responsible for this close togetherness of your marriage. That's not her job. That, that's yours. Uh, if there's a drifting apart, if there's a, a distance uh, coming in your relationship, if the relationship uh, seems to be getting, you know, developing dullness, uh, uh, most often it's the husband's fault. And if not, it's still the husband's responsibility uh, to fix it. You know, just, just providing a good income is never a substitute for sharing deeply in life together. Uh, the godly husband must, now listen to this, the godly husband must understand every room in his wife's heart uh, and, be, and be sensitive to her needs. And admittedly, guys, we, we struggle with that, don't we? Um, and Peter adds, you husbands are to be students of your wife. He says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Uh, most guys feel they have to know about sports or, or know about uh, work or know about money, but God says you must know your wife intimately, intimately. You know, the root word uh, for that phrase, understanding way, it, it, it means a personal knowing. Uh, it's, ex, it's experiential. It's... Uh, it's, it's relational knowledge. Uh, in an understanding way is, is, meant, to, is meant to kind of be a, a frame around the picture of intimacy. Uh, you know, Peter's telling you husbands that your position of authority is, is not a license for insensitivity. Uh, you know, your first task as the head is to understand the wife that God has entrusted to you. Um, you know, I, I, a great coach uh, uh, knows his players, and a great husband knows his wife intimately. Um, you know, our tendency as men is to be kind of selfish. You know, we want to we fix things. We want to tell them, get over it. Um, and we want to provide a solution and then move on. Uh, but God says, dwell with her in deep personal knowledge. Become a student of your wife. You know, know her and model Christ for her in your own life. You know, the third principle that, that I think we can take away from this verse is that, men, we're to protect our wife carefully. Protect your wife carefully. You know, Peter adds this verse, in, in this, this phrase in verse 7, as with someone weaker since she is woman, as someone weaker since she is woman. Peter has given us some important truths right there in that phrase. You know, men, he's saying we're to treat our wives with, and not just our wife, but all women, with tenderness. You know, the word weaker is also translated as sick or without strength um, or powerless. You know, husbands, we have to treat our wives with tenderness. Um, you know, God loves those who are weaker. 
You ever thought about that? The Bible tells us that. Uh, you know, God is pleased to, to bless those who are weaker and those who are less honored uh, in the eyes of the world. Remember what the Bible says about you and me in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. You know, that, that's me and you, not wise, uh, not mighty, not noble, uh, but rather foolish and weak. You know, Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 22, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. You know, that's talking about us too right there. Now, now think about this. Just as submission, you know, doesn't imply the inferior, inferiority of the one who submits, so the weaker does not imply that the wife is weaker in character or intellect than her husband. Um, and sometimes I think maybe we struggle with that a little bit. Uh, we're, we're good with the submission part, but we... We don't want to look at it fully. <laughs> um, you know, weaker doesn't mean women are, are, are spiritually or intellectually inferior. Uh, you know, that's not the case at all. Um, you know, weaker could also be referring here to physical strength. Uh, and I know we've got some... Uh, some amazingly strong and fast and enduring women, women right here in our congregation. Uh, but for the most part, if a man tried, uh, he could physically overpower his wife. Uh, husbands are to be protective and courteous provi uh, providers to their wives and, and to women in general. Uh, never use your physical advantage as a justification uh, to mistreat your wife. And, and we see that happen all, what, far too many times in our, in our society. Um, you know, the phrase here, as someone weaker since she's woman, also tells us to, to treat, your wife, uh, as she, because, treat your wife as someone feminine. Uh, you know, the phrase, since she's woman, actually means the, the feminine one. Uh, it's a rare word that points to the femininity of women. And, and in our culture, that, that concept is kind of being lost, isn't it? Uh, the idea that, that a woman is feminine. Um, you know, P Peter's saying here that, that, we're to that we're to appreciate our wife's femininity. He's saying your wife is not a man. <laughs> she, she's, she's not a little girl. Uh, she's a woman. Uh, she's feminine. Men, protect your wife. Protect your wife and, and provide what she needs. Care for her be, like she's your greatest treasure. And, and Peter's saying here, treat her with, with TLC. Protect your wife carefully. Amen? You know, the fourth principle for husbands here is, is to treasure your wife diligently. Notice the next phrase in verse 7. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. 
You know, this really means uh, uh, assign her value as a co-inheritor of the favor of life. Peter says, this is your assignment. Uh, you know, that word show means to assign, to assign her honor. Uh, it's present tense, so God is saying that you're to assign her honor, not just on her birthday or, or Valentine's Day or your anniversary, but, but every day. Honor your wife. Um, you know, Proverbs 31.10 says it this way, an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. You know, your wife is your most valuable gift. Uh, it's the most valuable gift you, you'll ever receive uh, on this earth. And, uh, and, and she should know that you feel that way about her. But also the reason Peter gives to show her honor is because she's a fellow heir. Your, your wife, uh, wife's position is one of being a co-inheritor with you, one who will inherit all the blessings uh, that come with Christ. Uh, you know, 2,000 years ago, typically uh, only men received an inheritance uh, from the family, and, and often it was just the firstborn in the family. But in Christ, a woman receives the same amazing inheritance that, uh, that a believing man receives. So Peter is reminding you husbands, treat your wife as someone wealthy. You know, she's a co-heir with you in Christ. And, 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 and what, does this, what does she inherit with you? Well, verse 7 tells us the grace of life. The grace of life. You know, most commentators agree that that phrase, the grace of life here, is, is really referencing a godly marriage. Um, you know, calling marriage the, the best there is in life. The, you know, the grace of life as it's used here is not eternal life, but the best of life. The grace of life is, is not heaven, but it, it's heaven on earth in the oneness of a marriage relationship. You know, a non-Christian couple will never know the joy, the, the oneness, the love, the, the intimacy, the delight, or the grace of a, of a godly marriage. You know, one of our most effective witnessing tools uh, is our marriage. And marriage in itself, with its oneness, its, its forgiveness, its, its intimacy, its, its joys, uh, uh, its companionship, uh, you know, all that. Love is a reminder of God's grace in our life. Um, and, and the last point I want to make, uh, principle number five, is, is, man, we have to work at our marriage fearfully. Work at your marriage fearfully. Peter ends verse 7 with this statement, so that your prayers will not be hindered. You know, notice the first two words there, so that. So that. Here Peter uses these words to describe uh, not a purpose, but a result. Meaning, this is what happens if you don't work at your marriage. So that. This is the consequence. This is what you'll reap when you sow indifference towards your bride. Uh, marriage done, God, done God's way and God's strength for God's glory 
leads to grace, for, grace of life. But a neglected marriage, uh, a husband who doesn't work on his marriage continually, uh, leads to the worst there is in life for a believer. And, and that's, that's the fact that your prayers aren't being heard. Um, as, as Peter writes, your prayers will be hindered. Peter says essentially the same thing a few verses later in, in 1 Peter 3.12, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know, so bottom line, the way we live our life can, can clog our prayers. Um, if we treat our, li- our wife poorly, if we don't uh, work at our marriage, then our prayer life becomes ineffective uh, and makes our life worse. And, and more importantly, it grieves God. Uh, you know, the verb hindered in this passage is, is a passive word. It's a passive verb. Uh, meaning that it's not something that you do, but it's something that God does to you as part of of his loving discipline uh, to those husbands who don't work uh, at their marriage. Uh, uh, The verb hindered uh, is also in the present tense, meaning that that being hindered can be ongoing and continuous. Uh, You know, the root word for hindered... uh, is kind of a harsh word. It means to, to cut down or cut off or to strike. But it's used metaphorically in the New Testament to mean to impede, uh, to hinder or to render fruitless. You know, now think about it. Do you husbands understand what God is saying to you here in, this, in, in that passage? You know, to me, this is scary stuff. Uh, could God not be hearing my prayers not be answering my prayers because I'm not treating my wife uh, as he intends for me to do. Um, You know, so the bottom line, take take time to maintain a good marriage, uh, to maintain a a good marriage that's keeping with God's will. You know, work on your marriage uh, um, requires uh, uh, diligence, uh, and, and when you work on your marriage, you're serving God, just, just like you would serve him in some other capacity. Uh, uh, you know, to pursue your spouse is, is, a, is a spiritual activity, um, and it's pleasing to God. For believing husbands, you, you can't, you, your life can't be all about career or about hobbies or about sports or, or even about your kids. You, 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 you actually are honoring Christ by honoring your wife. Um, and you're displeasing Christ when you ignore her. You know, there, there's so much more I could say about this, uh, uh, especially about this idea of prayers being hindered. Um, you know, this is not the only way that, that the Bible says our prayers may be hindered, that God may turn a deaf ear to what we're what we're crying out. Uh, you know, it may be because we, we're holding on to, to unforgiveness. Maybe because we, we can't reconcile with someone that's wronged us. Maybe because we, uh, we, we've, we have no willingness to, to mend a broken relationship. You know, we, our pride uh, keeps us from saying, I'm sorry, uh, can we try again? 
there's all sorts of things in the Word of God that, that's, that, that will hinder your prayers. Um, and I don't know about you, but man, I want God to hear my prayers because <laughs> I need His help. I need His help desperately, and so do you. Uh, I'm going to close right there. I don't want to go much longer. And, um, 